0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. It is a good day to be in God's house. Hello. <laughs> so let's all, uh, everyone who can, stand to your feet and let's worship God together. Uh-huh. What a beautiful name it is. Nothing compares to this. What a beautiful name.
1: Good morning, church family. Will you pray with me? Good morning, Father, Sovereign Lord. You are our strength. You make our feet like a deer and enable us to tread on the heights. You are sovereign and in control over this world. You have no equal. You are the incomparable Lord who calls the stars forth by name and you call us your child. You invite us into relationship with you. By day you you direct your love, at night your song is with me. A prayer to you, Father, the God of life. Forgive us, Father, when we forget who you are, when we forget your promises and how you have responded to our prayers. Forgive us when we hold firmly to our own human wisdom and put our trust in ourselves, our jobs, our finances. Forgive us when we withhold love to others, refuse to forgive, and are quick to judge. Remind us, Lord, more than anything, you want our heart. Thank you for sending Jesus to rescue us, our Savior, the author and perfecter of our faith full of love and compassion. In and through him, we are reconciled to you. Father, don't let us waste this. Help us to recognize how much we need you. Help us to surrender our hearts to you, to beat in unison to do your will in your way. Father, may we seek to be an instrument of your love. We pray for opportunity to share the reason for the hope we have that we would share the good news of Jesus with gentleness and respect. We pray for our leaders to know you and seek your wisdom. We pray for our family and friends to be healed of disease and illness. We pray for our children to know you and flourish in the abundance of your love. Thank you for our worship team, who faithfully every week provides beautiful music to prepare our hearts and draw us close to you. Thank you for Pastor Steve's message. Thank you for how you will teach us and guide us. Thank you that you choose to reveal yourself to us through your word, through others joined in fellowship, and during quiet times in prayer with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.
0: Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. If this is your first time joining us for our worship service, We are so glad that you are here. On your way in, you should have received a bulletin. On there, you will find our connect card. If you are looking to get connected with the church, we encourage you to fill out that connect card so we can get to know you. If you have new contact information, please fill out that connect card so we can keep you updated. On the other side, you will find our prayer card. If you have anyone in your life who is in need of prayer, please fill out the prayer card or visit our website at ljcc.org prayer. On your way out, you can drop these cards off in the foyer or the box mounted on the wall.
2: These military families that are mainly over at the Marine Corps Air Station, uh, Miramar, are young families. They're away from their own families, and you know, having a baby can be a little bit of a daunting experience. So we provide baskets for these families. The baby baskets are comprised of a lot of different little baby items. We have baby gowns, little onesies, little booties, We have the normal things like baby wipes or baby powder, or baby lotion. And we try and give these baby baskets out every month. So it's wonderful to be able to stand in that gap for a moment to be able to donate that sort of thing to them and they're so appreciative. The idea that others would care and have compassion, that's what Jesus wants us to be, is compassionate. We respect our service members so much because of what they do for our country, the sacrifices that they make that we want to be able to give back. They are our neighbors, and we can be the hands and feet of Jesus, to be able to bless them and to encourage them and let them know that there are people who do love them and care for them.
3: Those baskets full of all those beautiful products for kids, uh, so touching and so moving, and you think, ah, oh, these precious babies, and then you realize, oh my gosh, their moms and dads are going to the most dangerous places on the planet to be sure those kids can grow up. Uh, quite impressive. Um, for a lot of us, you know, uh, it's amazing how adaptable we are. Our, our biggest challenge is finding a parking spot at La Jolla Shorts, you know, it's like, uh, oh no, the village is really crowded today. Um, you put things in perspective, right? Uh, why would people have babies, knowing that the world is such a horrible place? Because the world is being redeemed by the Lord who made the place, and that's the only thing that gives us hope. And this weather—I mean, you know, I'm kind of freaked out and confused. Uh, it's all sunny and shiny in San Diego. What's going on here? <laughs> it's fantastic. Um, I'm going to get on a plane uh, hopefully tomorrow and. Um, if the weather in Dallas is 105 this week, 106, 107, 109. But they're lying when they say that, because that's not the heat you feel. If you press it a little bit, you go down to the third level of, of reveal, and the weather report is, well, it's actually 111, 112. Uh, I was talking to my son-in-law, I said, you know, it's going to be really hot this week. And I wasn't trying to back out, I was just saying, hey, is there any chance that you could all come to San Diego? And, and he said, no, oh, it's not that bad. He said, though our mailman died this week. Literally, the poor man died of a heart attack from heat stroke. And I'm thinking, seriously? And people are still getting up every day, acting like everything is okay there? Uh, it must be like the people to, on the Titanic, to, the band kept playing. And what else are you going to do? I, I mean, it, not to be you know, jocular about it. We saw the tragedy this week. But um, we do our best to make the best, don't we? Uh, we're amazingly adaptable as human beings. And by the way, uh, I thought the biggest news of the week, uh, if you read the newspaper, I, I try to you know, look at the news every day and understand what's going on. And um, A horrific week of bad news. The one big major reveal of great news, it, I mean, this should be a national holiday now. 80-year-old guys are the happening uh, cohort in the, in the country today. Thank you, Harrison Ford. Uh, Denzel Washington, uh, who knew Pierce Brosnan? I had no idea. You know, um, I thought he was perpetually 22 years old, but he, he's <laughs> apparently, you know, in his 70s. So it, it said that uh, Steven Spielberg made the big claim that these old dudes have saved the movie industry this year. That's not all they're saving. I'm telling you, they're saving a lot of stuff. I just can't think of anything off the top of my head. Um, and the, the funny thing in this article in the Wall Street Journal was that. All the, all the scenes involving beautiful women now are their granddaughters <laughs> or their daughters and, you know, on the way to see their grandkids. So things change as you get older, but they can get better. Um, where are you in this season of your life? Is it not better for you right now? Is it, is it getting worse? Are you feeling like your best days are behind you, or are you in that place in your life where you're feeling like your best days are yet ahead? It's a big question, isn't it? Uh, Because what comes crashing in in the midst of all those musings is life. Uh, When you're talking to a five year old who's having a very bad day, I mean, it's funny to us because their idea of a bad day is, you know, I I would love to have a bad day like that. You know, uh, somebody looking after my every need, caring about me, comforting me, consoling me. Oh, wait, I do. I have the Lord. That's right. So it never changes whether you're five or 25 or 85. Uh, you have somebody looking out for you, somebody that you can turn to. I wanna read you Psalm 42. It's very familiar. Uh, We're gonna talk about God's word today. This is the last segment of this series we've been doing called God is in the Details. It's easy to forget that God is actually in the details. He didn't just wind up the world and leave it running while he went off to run errands. Uh, He has connected himself to the world forever. Years ago, uh, there was a thing called the Bible, the Bethel Bible series. Um, this guy named Harley, um, whatever his last name was, um, was this hard-drinking, hard-partying dude from Wisconsin who was shipped out in World War II to some remote island where the hardest thing he did all day was make burgers and play volleyball. He was bored out of his gourd. He wanted to be in the action. He was so ticked off that he was, what he thought of at first was an awesome assignment, but then he realized you can have too many vacation days. And out of sheer boredom, he picked out of his, of his um, rucksack the Bible that his mother had surreptitiously slipped into it. And as he started reading the Bible out of sheer boredom, he couldn't put it down. And he read it again. He read it again. Uh, and he stopped, he, he smoked and drank less and kept reading the Bible more. And when he got back to Wisconsin, he was irate. He said, why didn't anybody tell me about this? So he's walking around Madison, Wisconsin, where everybody knows him as this super charismatic, go for it, amazing dude. He's going, hey, why didn't you people tell me about this? And everybody's like, sorry, man, you've been growing up in the church. I know, but nobody seemed to mention it. So he went to seminary, and then he was trying to reach all of his buddies who came back from World War II. And he thought, how do I reach these people? Well, in the meantime, he takes a trip to the, to the Holy Land. And in the middle of the desert, the Jeep breaks down. And the driver jumps out and pulls out some Pita, and fashions a plug for the radiator. And they keep driving. And Harley's like, that's it. That's it, an unconventional solution. What could I do that would be an unconventional solution to help my peers who don't give a about the Bible care about the Bible? And so he created this thing called the Bethel Bible Series. Why? Because he was a pastor at Bethel uh, Lutheran church, the biggest church in Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, um, amazing. It swept the country. It, 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 it's, you, you, you look at these pictures that he created. It was art. He created these, these artistic things that would give you the picture of the Bible. And then he'd unpack them with people. It was brilliant. It still is brilliant. If you ever get to see it, it's amazing. The first picture, though, shows a picture of the globe, the earth. Uh, you know, we call that... Uh, a guy named Frank White, a writer, commenting all the comments of astronauts who breathlessly tried to describe what it was like to see the Earth. He called it the overview effect. That's the official term now for people in space who get to see the Earth. Those iconic pictures that we all see, we go, oh, interesting, it's the Earth. But when you're in space seeing it, apparently it has an overwhelming impact on you. It's called the overview effect, and you scientists probably already know about this. Harley Swigum wanted people to have the overview effect. And he showed the globe with a chain around a wrist. And the the hand in the wrist was God's hand, chaining himself to the earth that he's never forsaken or forgotten. This is the power of what reorients us to what reality is. The realities that we experience are real, obviously. The things we experience in life our our lived experience is real and then we exacerbate non-reality in the way that we respond to the real experiences you know we make up stuff trying to cope with the craziness of life but the larger reality is that it's god's world and he's not given up on it you belong to god he's not given up on you i hope we have a room here full of harley's swiggums i I had a chance to meet harley uh, and uh, spent time with him he was just an incredible person Uh, he was he was out of that generation that you know the greatest generation and he was like a combination of of every every um, heroic person you ever saw in that era in the movies he was john wayne he was rock hudson he was everybody rolled into one he would have been you know um, harrison ford in whatever role harrison ford always plays harrison ford by the way you know that he doesn't, he's not required to act. He's just required to show up and be Harrison Ford. Well, that was Harley Swiggum. I hope we have a room full of Harley Swiggums. People were saying, hey, give me some PETA and I can fix this Jeep. <laughs> give me some time and I can help you see the grandeur, the magnificence of, of uh, the revealed world that God is unveiling for us. The one we think we know, but we do not really know. So we're finishing up this reflection, uh, this series that God is in the details. Go back and look at some of the videos if you weren't around for that. And it's setting us up for the next series, which I'll tell you about at the very end. So I wanna read Psalm 42 as a way of framing this. I wanna make a point to you by reading this. So here's King David, he's not yet King David, he's David. And he's getting chased around the desert by a very bad dude who's unfortunately actually the king, (laughs) Saul. And uh, so um, it's not looking good. But he's in a gorgeous place out in the desert, a, a place some of you have been. It's called En Gedi. En Gedi. It's this incredible oasis uh, not far from the Dead Sea. It's now a natural UNESCO, you know, natural history kind of a, a, a monument. But if you go there, you see these beautiful uh, ibex and other kinds of deer. And, and the waterfalls. If you've been to Havasupai, you know, in the adjacent, to, an offshoot of the Grand Canyon, if you ever have a chance to go to Havasupai, it will blow your mind how beautiful it is. Idyllic. It looks like Disney created it, and Spielberg improved on it. Um, it's just amazing. Well, so that's how engedi is. So here he is, distraught, bummed out, at his lowest point. David, called the man after God's own heart, is having a very bad day with some very big feelings. And so he says, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. Imagine, he's just sitting there thinking, it's over, it's done, I don't know what I'm gonna do. And he sees this deer come down, tentative looking around, you know, uh, and drinking out of that beautiful oasis. And it all comes clear to him. Reality breaks in, he has a Harley Swigum moment. My soul thirsts for god for the living god when can i go and meet with god my tears have been my food day and night while people say to me all day long where is your god your god has led us to this big god huh big deal more like it these things i remember as i pour out my soul How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. This is before the temple was built. This is when they had a movable sanctuary. This beautiful place where people would gather for worship and they'd move it as they needed to move it, called the tabernacle. I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. My, why, my soul, why are you downcast? A deep psychological reflection here. The practice, maybe, maybe the elements are different, but the practice of psychology and the practice of, of internal processing, exploring your internal world, making sense of it, is not new. Why are you downcast, oh, my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, that beautiful mountain in the very northernmost part of Israel where up until about two months ago they were skiing. From Mount Mizar, deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. He's watching, again, this natural phenomenon at Engetty, this beautiful waterfall cascading down. You can walk up and get behind it. It's an amazing place, like Havasupai again, like places perhaps you've been in Hawaii or other places where you think this is majestic, this waterfall in one of the national parks. You know, Canada is filled with these amazing places. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to my God, to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, Where is your God? But he stays focused. He says this. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. I read that for a bunch of reasons. One, because that's the world we live in, and maybe that's the language we need to live in the world that we live in. The one that God has chained himself to and is not giving up on. But didn't this read as if you could have written it. Weren't elements of this, maybe you would say I'm I'm not that gifted with the language, but um, there are some people, as they say, who have a way with words, and there are some people, no have way. Anyway, so um, you might not have the language to describe this, but does this describe something you could have written, a conversation you could have had with yourself? Yes, it does. Do you know what that tells you? It tells you, that, tells you that you think Hebraically. And you might think big deal. I think as a Californian, I think as a whatever you are. You, I'm telling you, no, you don't. You live that, that's the culture you live in. There's cultures, various ones that have shaped you. Maybe from countries outside of this country. Cultures within this culture. You have been shaped by, by an Hebraic worldview. The misunderstanding, I won't call it a lie, it's not a lie. It's a misunderstanding that our culture is shaped by a Greek point of view. Our culture is not shaped primarily by a Greek point of view. We have embraced a platonic view of life. Now you might think, why are we even talking about this stuff in church on a Sunday morning? It's irrelevant irrelevant philosophy. No, it's absolutely essential philosophy because it's a philosophy that you live under but you've been shaped by an, an Hebraic point of view. What's the difference? Well, there's only one point of view like the Hebraic point of view. You you, you do a complete survey and assessment, a deep dive into the ancient Near East, there's one point of view that is a Hebraic worldview. Well, now lots of cultures influence them, maybe, certainly. Lots of cultures had all kinds of stories, and yes, of course, there's no view like the Hebraic view. And if for those of you who are philosophers, uh, archaeologists, uh, other kinds of people who study these things, you say, yeah, true. There's only one view that shapes us. It's a Hebra- primarily, it's the Hebraic view. The, the, sh- the part that distorts us and screws us up is a platonic view. Now only possible, one second now again to say, any, any philosophy or ideology can contribute something constructive. The most crazy thing on the planet, L. Ron Hubbard invented a way to make money and mock religion, and he called it Scientology. There are things in Scientology that if you heard it, you'd say, that makes sense to me. Right? Any ideology, any philosophy has something in it you go, oh, that makes sense. Somebody said to me, well, uh, you know, have you ever read Rumi? Rumi, one of the great poets of Persia. Yeah, who hasn't? You should. Everybody should read Rumi. I wouldn't pray to Rumi or expect him to save me. So I can take all kinds of content from all kinds of sources and say, that's really helpful. But to to put it into a a worldview that that describes reality accurately, there's only one worldview that describes reality accurately. It's in a Hebraic worldview. Uh, The the Germans have a fancy word for it, the Weltanschauung. It's a worldview, it's all comprehensive. Now, in their worst moments, uh, the Hebrews, the Israelites said, you know, our, our worldview obviously isn't adequate enough, things aren't going the way we want them to go. Let's worship the Baals, uh, the idols that our neighbors have. Let's worship Molech. Does anybody have a kid they can sacrifice? Uh, let's worship. And when, when, when um, the Greek, uh, really the Macedonian culture, uh, Alexander the Great, uh, from the time he was about 21 to 31, and then he died of a lack of $6 of antibiotics, basically, he, can, he, he united the known world. And the Greek culture spread everywhere. To the point that if you lived in Egypt, you spoke Greek. Uh, Our New Testament is written in Koine Greek. So we're not anti-Greek. The Old Testament was actually translated into Greek. The Septuagint, the 70. So my point is not that Greek culture is bad. It's beautiful. Roman culture, interesting. Romans basically just copy everything the Greeks did. So Romans get no credit. Uh, nice, Nice statue. Let's put a Roman head on it. But the Greeks had this phenomenal worldview. Unfortunately, it was built on Plato, and it was this distorted and distorting worldview. If you've ever been a practitioner of New Age stuff, if you've ever read Dan Brown and at the end of it said, I feel dumber than when I read the book, that's, 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 that's Neoplatonic thinking. You've heard of the Gnostic heresy, N G N O S T I C, knowledge Gnostic, the gospel of this, the gospel of that. Uh, non-gospels, but they say it's the Gospel of Thomas, it's the Gospel of uh, Judas, it's the Gospel of... Those are all Gnostic heresies. Why? Because they were Platonists. and They said, we don't like this idea that there's a God to whom we're accountable. We like the idea uh, described in Brave New World. If you've ever read Brave New World, that's Platonism. You've got the special people at the top, you've got the okay people in the middle, and you've got the people who don't count for, at the bottom. And Plato said, "You got the pneumaticoi, the spiritual people here. You got the psychikoi, the soulish people here, and then you got the sarkikoi, those fleshly people. And why does this matter? It's because it's so in our bones now to think um, platonically. When really, when you read this psalm, you were thinking hebraically. So what's up with that? It's that these things have shaped our culture." They are shaping cultures worldwide right now. Why? Because they resonate with reality. And if you push Platonic reality far enough, you go, "There's no there there." That's why Augustine, uh, a rhetorician, a, a, a student of, of Plato, uh, finally said, "It's all it's, it's bogus." I have a lot of great ideas coming out of it that I appreciate, but ultimately, it will not save you. It does not answer or describe reality adequately so where do we go that's why we come to church we come to church to remember what god is doing and what he's done and what he yet wants to do and we know that god has a better plan for this world and for everybody in it than any other philosophy or ideology can possibly contribute even though they can all contribute great insights and wonderful things so if you are now a follower of jesus and you come out of a uh, another ideology or another philosophy, another religious background, you would say, well, there's some great, really great things that I still resonate with from my, my upbringing. Well, you should. Right now, there are people around the Middle East coming to know Jesus every day. A phenomenal movement among Muslim people coming to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Now, when you, inv- when you interview them and say, so what's different? Do you abandon everything you've learned? Well, I don't see Allah as God anymore. And I don't see the, the ways described in the Koran as is, is the road to salvation. I see Jesus is, is the only savior. But I learned so many things that are so helpful to me. So do you get where this goes? Don't be, feel like you have to defend against every other ideology or philosophy or religion. Just say, there's all kinds of great efforts to give us content that helps us order our lives. But ultimately, it's a Hebraic worldview expressed in the revealed word of God. that shapes what we call a Judeo-Christian worldview But along the way, people with a platonic worldview said, we don't like it. We just don't like it. Because those elites I mentioned, the pneumaticoid, the spiritual people, what they don't like is that they get to do whatever they want with their bodies, and who cares? I'm not accountable to anybody. I feel spiritual. And, And the Hebraic point of view says, I'm sorry, that doesn't work that way. You're not a mind and a body. You're a whole integrated being, heart, soul, mind, and strength. So you're reducing not only who you are as a created being, but you're reducing your responsibility and accountability for living a moral life. As long as I feel spiritual, I can do any damage I want in the world. That's what a platonic worldview ends up with. It's, it's, it's incredibly, brilliantly rational. That's why Americans love it. We are masters at rationalizing anything we want to do, anything we want to have, anything we want to feel, anything that we want to support. I am a genius at rationalization. Unfortunately, it ends up making me a very false, hollow person if I go there. So where do we go? Okay, so that's the longest introduction of a sermon you've ever heard. Now the next 90 points I have, I just want to go over quickly. So, so now I can say very quickly what where this goes. What can you count on is the question. What can you count on? Your health? Yeah, keep counting on that. You can spend a zillion dollars getting your body analyzed at Illumina and all they can tell you is that your body is failing you and you will die. (laughs) But you have the comfort of knowing that. And at every cocktail party you go to, you go, Well, I was just at Illumina. Did I mention I was at Illumina? And for 25 grand, they told me that I'm going to die someday. And the people serving the drinks in the background of the party going, these are the people who are running our country? They feel better about paying a lot of money to know that they're mortal? What can you count on? Your health? Your wealth? If if you're counting on your wealth, just leave it to our government to remove it from you so you don't have to worry about it anymore. And that's true for any government. (laughs) You know, when when Israel wanted to have a king... And God said, yeah, I'm your king, you don't need a king. They said, no, everybody else has a king, we want a king. The prophet Samuel, by God's command, went and told the people, you know, here's what happens if you have a king. They send all your young men to war, they tax you to death, they create an administrative state that is, it is no stopping, it just gets bigger and bigger, and it's a mess. Yes, like we said, we want a king. It's a crazy thing that we do as human beings. What can you count on? Your government to get it right? We all want the government to get it right. It's an impossible task we give the government. What can you count on? I'm, I'm sorry to have to tell you, just God. How pathetic is that? All you can count on is God. Oh, man, that's it? I know, I know. The one who chained himself to the world he created, the one who came into the world he created, died on behalf of that world to remove the power of sin and death over us, to create a new heaven and a new earth, to transform our lives, to transform our marriages and our families, to make better governments, to make people who are willing to sacrifice for the things that matter in life, who are wise and discerning about how to prioritize their life, are humble enough to say, if I fail, I fail. I'm gonna get up and follow the Lord. Just God, that's all we have, okay? So what are the implications of just having God? Well, Jesus made a compelling claim that from anybody else would be outrageous and unsupportable. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away. A new heaven and earth is in the making, but my words are forever. So, what's eternal in this world? You and the Word of God. What goes beyond this world that will, will fade? A you. And there will be a judgment but you will, you will be there in person. And the word of God. Will the, will the Bible, you know, as a book be, I don't know. But the word of God will be forever. Will churches, no. What will it look like? Go back, go to the very end of the book of Revelation. That'll tell you, that'll give you a picture of what it's going to look like. Jesus is, is saying that his word is durable and Enduring. It doesn't fail, it doesn't die, it's life itself. And so what's, what's Jesus doing? He's claiming authority that puts every other authority in perspective. It's a yes but picture, like this. Hey, you know, life is beyond your control. Yes, but it's not beyond God's control. He's in control. Yes, but people resist Jesus' authority. Yeah, but at some point every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God and the benefit of people. Well, this world, we've really mucked it up. I don't know if there's any turning back. True, but there's a new heaven and a new earth on the way. It will be perfect as it was intended to be. Yeah, but my life, you know, um, my life is a mess, and I, I don't know if I can, I, can um, I, I really am not worthy. Yes, but God made you worthy in sacrificing Himself for you. See where this goes? Just Jesus, just Jesus' words. So ours is sort of a yes, but message. Yes, that's true. Mm-hmm. Well, I have a lot of stuff going for me. You know, I'm not sure I need God. Yes, but you don't have enough. Well, I know there's some great ideas out there and other ideologies and religions and philosophies. Yes, but they're inadequate ultimately to save. Awesome, fantastic. Uh, I, I think it was a couple weeks ago I gave the analogy. If we were all sitting, uh, standing at, at, on, on the pier in Newport Beach, looking at Catalina, and we had a jumping contest from the pier to Catalina. Some of you would go 40, 45 feet. i go 15 inches and drop like a rock. And you jump out of the water having gone 40 feet going, yeah, baby. And i say, I was so impressive. Unbelievable. World record. Unfortunately, you're still 26 miles shy of Catalina. Just a little short of the goal. That's our dilemma. That's why it's a yes, but message. Yes, but God can close that distance. Yes, God can cover that gap. Yes, God can do what you cannot do and take you where you cannot go. Matthew tells us this, quoting Jesus, Matthew 28. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, Jesus said. Whoa. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, Oh, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This was a major dent in platonic thinking. Platonic thinking says if there's a God, that God is so far removed from us, it would be beneath that God's dignity to even let us get close. And, and this one who's revealed as God in the flesh says, and I'll be with you always. You can't dish me and I won't neglect you. It's the truest word ever spoken and the greatest story ever told. Uh, Using a little bit of Platonic language to pull people into the conversation, John opens up his gospel uh, using a a Platonic term, logos, the word. See, there's a category from Platonism that John says, I know. I'm going to bring a redemptive analogy in the midst of a Platonic uh, phrase. The logos... Uh, and also the Platonic people are going, yeah, that's what we're talking about, the Logos. And he says, however, this Logos is not like the Logos you think you know about. And so all, he says, in the beginning was the Word, the Logos. Okay, so far so good. And the Word was with God, and the Word was, was God. Okay. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. Oh, I'm loving these words, life and light, all platonic. I'm with you. Yeah, baby. Well, cowbell. You know, it's that kind of a moment right here. And so he says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And the platonic people are going, I had no idea. But then John says, oh, and by the way, this Logos came into the world to his own, but his own didn't recognize him, and they rejected him. And yet he still gave what he came to give, to say, and then he's going, whoa, whoa, whoa. You just went off the rails there. The logos came into the world, was, was compromised by materiality. Yeah, That's the whole point. That's why we're Hebraic. We don't have a mind-body problem. We have an integrated human being understanding. I'm not a mind and a body that can be you know, dissected and, and made binary. I'm a complete unit. And where we get out of sorts, like this, like David in his psalm is saying is that I'm, I'm disconnected from who I am. And I have to remember who I am and who God is. And so Jesus, the word, spoke, and his word became what he spoke. Let there be light, boom, light. Let there be life, life. Let there be love, love. And so the Bible is a holy book because it reveals a holy God, and we are people of his book. So holy simply means it, got, it has God's fingerprints all over it. When something is holy, God's presence permeates it. God's fingerprints are all over it. Think about that. Uh, feel, your, feel your way to that. That to be holy isn't to be perfect, it's to belong to God. Most of you, if questioned, would not say, I'm a holy person. You'd say, I aspire to be a kind of more sort of holy person. You are a holy person if you belong to God. It's a holy book, not because if you drop it, you get whacked. It's a holy book because it contains God's word. And if you underline it, that's okay. If you highlight it, that's okay. If it falls apart, you tape it up until it doesn't work, and then you get a new one. It's holy because it belongs to God, and nothing can kill it. And so we are people being remade and remolded by the Spirit through Scripture. We don't worship Scripture. Scripture is words on a page. It's a little bit like saying money, isn't money is paper. Now we don't even use paper money. But, but there's a power in wealth that we know how to talk about. That's how it is with God's Word. He delivers that powerful Word through His written Word. And he replaces the fear of judgment with the assurance of salvation. And the ex- existential proof to that is the transformation that we start to experience. It shocks us. We start to change. Again, Augustine, uh, really uh, the, the father of modern theology, said, I'm, I'm shocked by how I'm changing. Now, when I was a new follower of Jesus, I thought I was going to change really quickly because I was really on it. And over time, God allowed me to be humbled by the fact that, whoa, it's not my project. It's his. And so the same sins that Augustine was struggling with as a young man, he's struggling with as an older man, and he's going, I get it now. It's not me remaking me. It's him remaking me. And so Jesus is the all-powerful, all-present, all-knowing, loving, wise, creative, redeemer God. The fulfillment of all Hebraic thought, much to the chagrin of all Platonic thought, and his authority is his sovereign exercise of those powers accomplished through his word and his spirit. So when we talk about the authority of the Bible, it's kind of a, uh, it's, a it's a bit of a misnomer. We're talk, when we talk about the authority of the Bible, that's an endless debate that doesn't go anywhere. Let's talk about the authority of God. Because when we talk about the authority of the Bible, it's really a shorthand for the authority of God. So we believe God's word is our foundational text for navigating life in this world. Now we use lots of other texts as well. Do not use the excuse when you show up to a final or any exam and not know exactly anything about what's going on because you weren't studying, that you know, excuse me, but I was reading a more important book, the Bible. Well you should continue reading that because you won't be in this program anymore to have to be distracted by that. So we read lots of other books but our Bible is the foundational text. And it's transformational. Why? Because it's magical words? No, because as we read it, we open our heart and our mind to the living God. It, we're not superstitious about the Bible. We don't practice uh, bibliolatry. We don't worship the Bible. We honor it by reading it. We believe it. And it's the transformation of the relationship we have with the living God. Uh, if you've ever exchanged love letters with someone, oh my gosh, you'd live for those letters. But really what you're living for is the person that sent them. And that's how you should see the word of God. It's God's love letter to us. But the great news is we get to actually relate to God. So reading the Bible is meant to draw us close to the heart of God and develop our hearts as well. This is what David was doing in Psalm 42. It's knowledge that leads to wisdom as we learn to listen and discern the voice of God. You can actually discern God's voice. Now you might say, I've never heard God's voice. You haven't heard it in the literal sense, but when you're reading the scripture, you go, "Oh my gosh, that's my situation," or you have a sense that the Spirit is saying, "You know, this is what I'm doing for you." Does this sound familiar? This is this is what you're wrestling with. You go, "Oh my gosh, yeah," you're, that that's you're you are hearing God's voice through His Word, through His Spirit. You might be hearing it through your mom and dad. Not oh, no way. Yes way. Because your parents might be speaking wisdom that even if they don't believe in Jesus, they're speaking words that are helping you in your walk with him. Your friends, your teachers. So you listen very carefully and you say, I'm hearing all these messages, how do I discern them? Are they from God or not? If they square with God's word, all right, take it into consideration. If it doesn't, then ignore it. Don't think that you, because you quote scripture, uh, you're speaking God's word. Sometimes when people quote scripture, it feels like they're weaponizing the Bible. Um, some of you heard me tell a story about a guy who, uh, uh, Chris Terenz—he used to write for Surfer magazine—and he's a—he's a super neat guy, follower of Jesus, lives in Encinitas, a great writer, and he was—he was—he was, he was, he was <laughs> interviewing at one of the action hero Hollywood actors. And the Hollywood actor saying something about how much he doesn't believe in God and makes this bunch of BS and it's a money thing and you know, um, and then he said some other comment and Chris basically paraphrases scripture. And the guy just goes, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! What did you just say?" And Chris said it again. He goes, "Dude, that was brilliant. It was amazing. How did you come up with that?" He Goes, "Why well, didn't? That's out of the Bible. No way." He goes, oh yeah, wait, that's the Bible man? He goes, yes, that's the Bible man. Uh, I've never read it. Really? I'm shocked to hear that. So this is where it goes. Chris didn't have to quote the Bible and put the Go, oh man, now you're quoting the Bible at me. Chris just said, what you just said reminds me of this. And the guy goes, that's it, exactly. And now the guy all of a sudden is engaged. That's what God is doing through his word and people who read it. If you're not reading it, you can't have those conversations with people. Not to control them, but to influence them just because you're caring enough to listen carefully and when they say something, you go, God, it reminds me of this. So we're humbled by his word. We're humbled by his justice. We're ennobled by his grace. We're ennobled and inspired by his compassion and by his tender mercies. That's what David is experiencing in Psalm 42. I'm experiencing this and it's horrible, but I know that you are the source of my hope. We have the freedom to say, this is how bad it is right now and how I feel about it. And yet, and yet, right? It's a yes, but faith. Yes, but. So reading the Bible for all it's worth means becoming wise about living your life. And in this life circumstances, uh, things might not change, but you will change. You will change. I prayed to God and he's not faithful. I don't care you said he chained himself to the world. I think he he undid the lock and walked away because my life has not changed and I've been praying and reading and doing everything right. Whoa, whoa, maybe you don't understand the transformation that's happening in you while you're doing this. God is allowing you to go through this difficult season because it's making you stronger. It's making you more humble. It's making you more willing to be open and teachable Don't put that platonic thing on God. The platonic thing says, if you're truly spiritual, everything is awesome all the time. The platonic thing says, those losers, those sarkakoi people, and even those sukakoi people who think they're so smart, don't understand what it's like to be truly spiritual like me. Because that's why my life is so awesome. Well, that and the fact that you're a liar cheating, scheming elite who keeps everybody under under their boot. But when you start to see a a community that has free flow, when people are moving from a place of desperation to a place of hope, a place of deprivation to a place of abundance, you go, what's going on here? It's typically that people are doing some things that align with God's purposes, even if they don't yet believe in him. Categories are no longer restrictive. They're just where we start. Where did you start and where are you now? And where do you want to go? The only way you're going to get there is with with, uh, God. So your agency is essential. Do the work. But it's his sufficiency in you that carries the battle. So if you're not doing the work, if you're not taking the time to understand you and to understand him, you're not doing the work. And you will have a superficial life. That's a guaranteed outcome to not doing the work. When our kids were little, um, I heard a guy speak and I ended up Embracing this approach to child rearing, a guy named Stephen Glenn, he was a a psychologist, and he wrote a book called "Raising Self-Reliant Children in a Self-Indulgent World." It is a brilliant book. To this day, it's a brilliant book. "Raising Self-Reliant Children in a Self-Indulgent World," game changer. What does it look like to raise self-reliant children? What does it look like if you don't and you raise self-indulgent children? The church is filled with self-indulgent adults who behave like children. Self-indulgent, because God's not delivering and I shouldn't have to do any work. Effort is not the opposite of grace. Grace is the portal into which our efforts go somewhere. Grace, we're saved by grace unequivocally. And now the effort we make is simply to say, what do you want to teach me, Lord? How do I learn, how do I grow? Your agency is essential. If you're too busy to read the Bible deeply, you're too busy. If you don't read the Bible wisely, you'll be ill-prepared to apply it well in this confused world. And there, you will not be a Harley swiggum. You'll be the pre-Harley swiggum who's just swigging them. And so Paul uh, writes to the Roman Christians. He says, don't mindlessly copy the behavior and customs of this world. Don't just mindlessly copy what the world tells you to do. But let God transform you and change the way you understand him. That's how you will know his will, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. (laughs) That's the word of God. Paul wrote that to people who were living in the center of power in the Roman Empire. The next center of power shifted from Rome to Ephesus. He was writing the same kind of letters to them. And so this, as I said, isn't our project of perfection. It's his work in us, and it humbles us as it develops us. Humble yourself, and he will lift you up, is what the scriptures tell us. I love the way Paul wrote it to the Philippians about himself. They stood in awe of him. Oh, this guy's amazing, the Apostle Paul. But he says this, not that I have already obtained all this. All the stuff I'm teaching you, I don't even, (laughs) I haven't obtained it. I just believe it, or that I've already arrived at my goal. But I press on. I'm doing the work. To take hold of, that's an active thing, I'm taking hold of that for which Jesus Christ took hold of me. You see the power of that? So I work work strenuously with all his power within me. Brothers and sisters, Paul says, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. That's not a picture of I'm earning my salvation. It's that I'm living into my salvation. And he, uses, he literally uses a Greek example of the Olympics. So this summer we're going to be refocusing and rebooting and remembering and realigning and reigniting our faith. Not looking for new thrills and new experiences, but just Doing a a review of where we are and who we are i I find that i get kind of bored being me i've got to stop and say i'm getting bored about the way i'm reading the bible i'm getting bored about the way i pray i'm getting bored about the way i do a lot of things it's it's run its course it's plateaued not a judgment it's just it was good there it got me here but it won't get me where i need to go lord what do you want to do in me that will get me where i need to go that's what we want to do some work on this summer in july and august so our summer series is called this. What do disciples of Jesus do while doing everything else? <laughs> what? I don't, you, you, great, Steve, I believe all this stuff, but I'm really busy. I just can't take all. You you, get, you do this full-time. you got the luxury of being a full-time Christian. I actually have to work for a living. And I'd say, well, we all work for a living, and you'd be, you, would not, you would be maybe shocked but you shouldn't be that pastors wrestle with how to read the Bible and take time to pray. It take time to not be responding to every possible demand that people might be making on them. I'm not complaining about being a pastor. I'm just saying the reality of all of us in our work is it's fully engaging. And the things that are so core and essential, we say, I'll get back to that later. So what do disciples of Jesus do while doing everything else? What does it mean to refocus? It just means to take a fresh look, to reboot. Okay, gear down and gear up again. Remembering, good to remember, good to realign and reignite is simply saying, you know, uh, how, do I, how do I blow on the coals and revive the flame? So I ask you the question, did Jesus' disciples live ordinary lives like everyone else? Well, yes and no. They had to. Paul made tents. He worked. I mean, they lived the routines of everyday life, but with a profound sense that each day is a gift from God and they had a mission and a purpose in the midst of whatever they did. We never discount what anybody does vocationally. Whatever you do is a high and holy calling. Yeah, but I hate my job. All right then. It's a transitional high and holy calling. You're on to something else. Lots of us did jobs that we wouldn't have wanted to do forever, but they were transitional while we needed to do them to move on to the thing we wanted to ultimately do. So Jesus shaped their decisions and gave them a purpose undergirding everything they did. And they cultivated a core bond with God that served as the through line for all they did. Does that sound like you? Who they were in Christ was foundational for everything they did because of Christ. I hope that sounds like you. And so... Christ shaped their values, their hopes, their dreams, their commitments, their mission, their roles, their responsibilities. It touched on every aspect of their life, and not only did it touch on it, it united it and integrated everything they did and everything they were. It made them Hebraic. You see that? It made them Hebraic. A plat- a Platonist, a Platonic thinker would say, "Hey, I had to I had to I had to burn a lot of people, but look at what I did. It was awesome." The Hebraic person said, you know, I started out by burning myself out and a lot of people out, and I realized that's not the way of Jesus. Hard work is a way of Jesus. Risk is a way of Jesus. Commitment and sacrifice, and sometimes suffering is a way of Jesus. But it's all about this Hebraic understanding of heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbors yourself. Go Hebraic. Appreciate Plato. Go Hebrew. So, uh, we'll, we will explore these elements, uh, and I'm asking you the question, what do you do to do what you do? Right now, what do you do to do what you do? Whatever age stage and season of life you in, know, what do you do to do what you do? That's where God wants to meet you in the next two months. And so I ask you the question as I wrap this up. Would new skills, a new attitude, fresh ideas, a team, a coach, help you do what you do? so you can do everything else that you do. Give some thought and prayer to that and and let the summer be a time of spiritual renewal for you. That's what summer is supposed to be, a time of renewal. Let your summer be, in the midst of all you're doing, a time of renewal. So Lord Jesus, that's my prayer for me. That's my prayer for my brothers and sisters. I thank you for your word and the power of it. Uh, I thank you for the, the privilege of us being able to gather in a public place to worship you. I thank you, Lord, that we're not being chased through the streets and persecuted for our faith. And so, Lord, I pray that that would not allow us to be complacent, uh, to take you or this incredible freedom uh, for granted. I thank you for this country, uh, for the people who uh, wanted to honor and glorify you and bless people in founding it and developing it. Lord, you've been so merciful to this country, calling us back uh, as we've gotten off track renewing us, and reviving us. Uh, And so, Lord, in in the complexities of this country, in the complexities of this world, may we have a clear understanding of who you are and who you are in us and who we are in you, that we could love people magnanimously. We could accept people where they are and for who they are. We could affirm whatever work you're doing in people. Uh, We could encourage people not by talking them in or out of feeling anything, but simply coming alongside them in the midst of whatever they're feeling. So that, Lord, our influence would be your influence through us. We thank you for that privilege and pray that we'd be good stewards of that. In Jesus' high and holy name we pray, amen. Well, we're gonna wrap up with an offering, and the offering is you. Uh, The offering is that as we do this music, uh, you're gonna be saying, Lord, here I am. Speak to me. Uh, take this message, take the words of these songs, the prayers, the beautiful prayer from Nicole, and, and Lord, use those to shape me as I move into this time of renewal this summer. Let's do that right now. And uh, God bless you as we launch into this new, this new season this summer. talking about having a deep, deep abiding sense of the presence of the living God. That's normal. That's the new norm in the kingdom of God. It's it's what God created us for. So if we can pray for you about anything that you bring with you today, about something in your life or somebody you care about, go right out on the corner. There's some people who will be praying for you in the prayer garden. Uh, Get something to eat and drink. Go out of your way. Be wild and crazy and introduce yourself to somebody. Say hi. And then if there's anything we can do to help you take those next steps to receive Jesus and, and, and believe in him and begin that relationship or come back to him and be renewed in your relationship with him. If we can help you find things to read or study materials to help you go that next step. We're a resource-rich community. Don't be shy. Uh, any question you want to ask me, steve at ljcc.org. steve at ljcc.org. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you the lord who loves you more than you can ever ask or imagine gives you everything you need to walk in newness and fullness of life with him both now and forevermore in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit amen yeah.